you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. Yeah, so there's a couple TV pieces. I, I just want to keep it kind of... Yeah, that's cool. You know, I, But we've never... We didn't discuss The Defenders because I hadn't seen it. You you binged it and we never talked about it. Oh, okay, it. so we can talk about The Defenders. And I, I like the idea of talking about it because the panel that I suggested for Convolution is kind of based on mm-hmm. that end capping the Phase 1 Netflix Marvel Okay, then CD. I have another question. Yeah. Did you see The Inhumans? No, I did not. Okay. I did not either. I resisted. Yeah. Mainly because I knew uh, they've released uh, the two back-to-back episodes will be longer than what they showed in the movie, in the theater. Yeah. Which is dumb. I mean, you know, if you wanted to get me into the theater... Give me more. Give me more. Don't give me less. Yeah. So... Yeah. um, And, you know... And do we need to, dare we, talk Twin Peaks? Yeah, I think that'd be fine. Okay. So, I mean, uh, and we don't have to talk even heavy spoilers. We can just talk about what we took away. You know? Okay. Um, yeah. So actually, it's kind of newsworthy because um, uh, David Lin- uh, Lynch um, yesterday or today, yesterday probably, said that he he might do another series. Another series or another season? Another season. Oh, of, I have not Twin seen Peaks. that. I have yeah. not seen that. He said he just wants to hear from people, and you know his his take. He, he says I'm not going to say, tell people what it is. It's whatever you want to take away from it. I have an interest. I have an interesting thing that I'll talk about, and that I I, I want to articulate in writing um, as a result of it. And I've been cogitating this for a couple of weeks, and it won't. And, and it it really spins away from Twin Peaks. Although, yeah. So we've got a lot to talk about. Cool. I wish I had something kind of more casual to get in, other than uh. Yeah. Saw Hamilton a second time. My God. My God. <laughs> um, I'll see it when it comes back to San Francisco again. Uh, definitely. Well, now I've seen two different people play Hamilton, uh-huh. which was really interesting. So we saw the understudy the first time who was kind of doing a Lin-Manuel Miranda impersonation. Okay. And it was it was good because the play is good. And then the guy that I saw, we saw last week was... It was electric. It was, I mean, that's, I don't know how big the bandages is. It's like 2,000 people. And it felt like I was in a black box. Like that guy had just, just pulled us in and the humanity of that performance. And, and you catch it a second time, the cleverness oh, yeah. of, of that show. Of the, the, Have you like listened on repeat to the soundtrack? And I bought the mixtape. Oh yeah, the mixtape's great, and and you know the sampling both from which I wouldn't have known really the hip hop stuff, but I was catching all the reference to other Broadway mm-hmm. shows, and I huh huh, and then there's a moment at the end that it, the first time I was like oh you know it's over it's good, 
but the second time because I kind of knew everything that was coming stage was I was my focus was exactly where right, it needed to be right. and I got pulled into this last and then we had you know a, like a 15 minute debate afterwards about like well what does that moment mean yeah and that, that was beautiful and of course I got the picture with the guy and it turns out so Family Planet has influenced now Hamilton history really because he had the uh, legends of the Hyrule symbol around his neck yes afterwards of course cool so uh so I Instagrammed it, and I kind of had a picture with him. And I said, uh, uh, you know, that, that um, I heard Ben Kingsley speak. And Ben Kingsley said that an actor, a good actor uh, puts his hand on the shoulder of the audience and says, I know. And, I said, and that's what I felt watching this last night. And then I would hashtag Hamilton of Hyrule because he had that <laughs> symbol. And he answered back and said, I'm totally taking that as my hashtag for now on. So we have influenced Ham for Ham. Cool. Cool. <laughs> so anyway. Does he play Breath of the Wild? or, or? Uh, I, I did, We didn't have a – because I didn't recognize it. I was too busy oh. trying not to screw up the photos of yeah. stage dooring. And I, but he was so good. I just said, please, I, 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 you know, take a picture with me. And um, I didn't get an autograph or anything. I was just like, you know, I mean, it was just good. And I just wanted to have a moment of just saying like, Without taking away from the from the understudy, it's like, damn, that was so so good. Yeah, and uh, you know, so have you? I mean, uh, it's a side to that, but have you? Um, you still have a Wii U, right? Or a Wii? No, I have a Wii. I don't have a Wii U. Oh, okay, I thought you had a Wii U. Okay, no, Luke has a Wii U. Okay, does he have Breath of the Wild? Oh yes, no, he's played it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm almost done with it. It's just he, he's finished game. it. He's finished it. He loves he loves Legend of Zelda. Yeah. So he was a little annoyed with me that I did not recognize offhand it was Aaron. McCracken. Oh, he was the one who spotted. No, it. No, no, Aaron McCracken. Oh, Aaron spotted did. it. And, Good girl. and I said, okay, so I got to update this on Instagram and say, yes, he's he's the Hamilton of Hyrule because I thought it was funny. And I said, man. Uh, my my son would be very disappointed in me for not <laughs> not recognizing that, and he and then he made a comment. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my son's getting pretty good with his, nice. <laughs> his retort, so it's nice. It's nice. All right. Well, hey, this is Jarek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting on a Thursday. September 14th. I seriously don't know That may have been the longest introduction we've had in a while because no, I don't no, know you can where just, I'm going to cut it Just in. do it. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're, we're podcasting one day before somebody's birthday. And that is across from me at the Brett Cave. Oh, my. Rick Brett Snyder. Yes. How, what anniversary of 30 is this? No, uh, no, no. Don't do the math. I can't do the math. Yeah, okay. That's well. the first thing to go. Math? Math. Is it? No. Yeah. Because <laughs> that'd be awful. <laughs> so remembering people's names. That mm. started when I was 20. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, and, in fact, uh, this is just two tin cans. I, I just do this to placate do you, you now. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I set it up. I know, but that's the weird thing, man. <laughs> you think you did. All right. So, uh, of course, uh, we've got a lot of comics, news, movies, TV news. And I do want to say, of course, that if anything we talk about on today's podcast is something that you'd like to purchase for your own, and it's purchasable legally, by the way. And you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store. By all means, use the handy-dandy Amazon link uh, you know, that's on each and every Fanboy Planet page. Uh, you can also, of course, I really appreciate if you would consider affiliate, uh, going through our affiliate, thinkgeek.com. They got, they've opened up their Halloween store section, and I guess as much as I hate the rushing of time, 
it's time to start thinking about what you're going to do for Halloween. Jesus, really? Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, it's, it's you six know, weeks. Yeah, that's time. Six, seven weeks. Yeah. You have to get sewing, and um, so anyway. And this year, I get to be the front half. Okay, so uh, fill it in, people. Write it. And by the way, if you think if you think you know the front half of what, <laughs> write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. That's e d i t o r at fanboyplanet.com. Any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism. And, by the way, if you would like to help contribute to the defray the cost of hosting a podcast and a website, you can use that address to donate on PayPal. And then you can brag about it. Can you? Yeah. Do you want to? You know, I support a podcast. And this is one of those weeks where I kind of feel like, you know what? Your money is better given to other people. I totally get that. Um, You know, it, it... if it is the end times, we're going to go out heroically. And uh, so that's it. You can also tweet us at Fanboy Planet, and you can find us on Facebook and join the conversation or start a conversation at Facebook, the Fanboy Planet page there. So let's uh, talk. The uh, We're going to start with, you know, kind of sad news, but I want to turn it joyous just because of how much this man gave to us. Uh, yeah, on Sunday point. afternoon, uh, the news broke, and it's kind of weird um, because the man who introduced me to Len Wein, Tom Galloway, was almost like the last to hear. Somebody who I knew was close. It was funny. I heard a lot of people who mentioned it. I had no idea I knew who he was. You know? Yeah. I mean, the news broke. DC announced um, at the age of 69, Len Wein, who is a giant in the industry. I'll put him a couple of, you know, you got to put him a couple of steps down from Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, Len, Len was nowhere near as well known, but certainly incredibly influential. Amazingly influential. And for two things in particular, and, and yet people were slapping me down on Sunday of like, well, you forgot about this, forgot about this. I'm like, mm. no, because I'm saying to a thousand people that don't read comics, right. this is who you know. Len created Wolverine, mm-hmm. and he created Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I honestly, I blow hot and cold on Wolverine. I realize the impact of the character, but Swamp Thing is absolutely one of my favorites uh, all time. It's funny how both of those characters, probably the two most well-known, weren't really the focus of the book that he was writing at the time. Because Logan was kind of like a toss-off character in Hulk. In Hulk, yeah. And Swamp Thing was just a short story in House of Mystery. Well, in both cases, and I'll say this, if you... if and I recommend the DC film anyway, animated film, Justice League Dark anyway, but on that DVD there's an extra, there's a documentary on the history of Swamp Thing and a great long interview with Len about that. One of the things was House of Mystery, as you just said, set in the 19th century. It was this gothic tragedy of this swamp creature and that, like, it was a year or two later that DC said, um... This story was really popular. Can you figure out a way to do it again? And so he just transposed the character, updated the the origin story, and made... You know, it was a short-lived book at the time. Like, I think it got to issue 28 or 29, and Len had left right before that. But let's talk about the instincts of this man. He became editor at DC, and he hired Alan Moore to Mm. revamp. Swamp Thing. The anatomy yeah. lesson was done. People forget this, that Len is the guy that said, found this British guy and said, do something more with it. Right. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks, obviously, about Jack Kirby and his 100th birthday, and I, I'm sure it's going to come back again it's later going to. in the podcast. 
And Mark Evanier in the back of those tribute books at DC keeps saying, like, this is what Jack wanted, was that he, he wanted to create these things and hand them over to other people. He didn't really quite get to do that willingly, you know. Len not only got to do it willingly, he had the control over it. And because of Len, we also have Watchmen. He right. is the guy that basically said, no, 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 don't make it Charlton. Mm-hmm. Create your own your own six. Um, I know he he did not write like big, the ending. a bigger story. Yeah, you know, um... And I say he co-created the, the, the new X-Men because Dave Cockrum came to Marvel with Nightcrawler and Aurora already drawn. Storm, they were done. But Len's the one that kind of filled in the character. And, and even, as you say, Wolverine and, and the Hulk, just a little short, feral guy. Right. That character's never going to come back again. And and then he you know, set the table, and Chris Claremont steps into to the Uncanny I'll X-Men. i one of these. And... One and, 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 and the toys were already in place, and yeah. Len's done that. And and I had I've got to pick this up. There's you know DC a couple of years ago did these Batman books for the 75th anniversary that focused on the writers, and I guess the artists because there's a Norm a Norm Breifogel book. Uh, there's a Len Wein best of Batman by by Len Wein. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so there's another, you know, the, some of the best stories that you know of of Batman from the 70s and 80s. A lot of Jim Aparo art in that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some some really good stuff. Um, and you know, I got to know him because, and I, and I thank Tom Galloway for it was one of those serendipitous moments of, hey, do you would you like to host the Pro Fan Trivia Contest at Comic Con? Him saying Mark, to you, yeah, because Mark Wade's, Wade's playing. And that's how I met Len, because Len was always the captain of the team. And there's a history on the rec arts uh, 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 of uh, Len getting involved with fans. And, and he was a great trivia master, unless it came to things that he himself had written. Uh, I think he answered six questions in like 26 years uh, correctly about his own work. Uh, Tom did take quite a bit of pride. Oh, he did. He did. And, uh, you know, so... Most of my encounters with Len were through were through that, but he and I had talked a couple of times about a, another project that I had going that he, if we had gotten it off the ground in time, it's not entirely dead, but I can't talk about it. He had been really enthusiastic about about participating and joining in. And so I got to know him through that. You know, I'm not saying I was a good friend, that we were good friends or anything. It was just, this is one of those things that you don't, as I've noted from starting the site, it's very hard when you meet the people that you grew up knowing and and loving from a distance and then you meet them. And then when, when you lose them, it's, it's, it's very hard. Uh, and I'm seeing that all over Facebook. Mark Evanier told has you go to news from me.com. He's got a couple of great stories about Len, uh, Michael Davis, another person who I think I met through Tom Galloway and Len through the pro fan trivia contest. Um, has uh, I believe he's on comicmix.com had uh, had written a, a nice tribute and just said you know they you couldn't not like Len and he was always uh, glorious and open and uh, my my favorite Len Wein moment was at a WonderCon and I was just sitting watching him in a panel and he was talking about Swamp Thing and somebody asked him what does Swamp Thing's voice sound like and without missing a beat he said Gilbert Gottfried and I cannot read Swamp Thing without the, hearing Gilbert Gottfried's voice. But actually, if you read his original descriptions of what it sounded like for the for Swamp Thing to speak, it makes 
horrible sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, and he was kidding, but it was a perfect right. like. Oh, because yeah. I think actually, if you watch Justice League action, Mark Hamill is doing something almost Gilbert Gottfried like as Swamp Thing. Uh, Swamp Thing. So it, it's uh, it's very funny. Um, so at the age of six ninety, and, and as I was saying beforehand, he was he had health problems his whole life. Uh, he did not think he was going to basically first didn't think he was going to get a childhood. Then he didn't think he was going to make it to 40 and he made it to 69. And, um, and just about anybody who's listening right now, you've read him. You may not realize yeah, if, if you, you've if read you, him. Well, and, and I want to say, <coughs> say that, say this too, is that people know that, and he has told this story in many places and I'd heard him t- say it. Hugh Jackman, he walked onto the set of, uh, I think it was the Wolverine, and or maybe it's maybe it's X three, um, and Hugh Jackman stopped all the filming, and made everybody focus on Len Wein and said, "Without him, none of us would be here." And so, and I I just love this that that Hugh Jackman and Len Wein struck up a great friendship. Yeah, and you know, and and Hugh's uh, Hugh Jackman's comment was, "This is the man who gave me my career." Uh, you know, and it's it's just interesting, that it, 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 and it's good. So um, I would say uh, the seminal stuff. Go look up that Swamp Thing. Go look up early early Wolverine appearances. Maybe I don't know, or find that Batman book. And yeah, that uh, Batman book would be. And it's one that I got to find. Yeah. <laughs> and and I know that I have tons of. And he did just return last year and wrote six issues of Swamp Thing. That is like with Kelly Jones, who was a perfect, perfect yeah. replacement yep. for Bernie Whiteson, who passed away last year. Um, and and to say, you know, he had not even with all his health issues, he had not lost a step as a writer. He was still just absolutely, absolutely strong in character characterization. Um, you know, I mean, the only the only thing I'd say is that you could sometimes tell that he had been a writer who'd been around for a long time, and you see that with DC with the way of, like Rebirth and stuff, when Jerry Conway has stepped in or or Len, it's like I feel comfortable because it reminds me of the comics that I grew up reading, and uh, and I and I I can't think of a better tribute than that, you know. And so thank you, Len, for those uh, for those years. All those years of reading pleasure, and for the few years that we got to know each other, and um, strangely rough day when that happened <laughs> to uh, to process that. But um, we got a lot of great work, and, and and as you say, a lot more than people think. Yeah. So find it, enjoy it. Uh, let's do. Speaking of uh, obliquely, we were talking about Comic Con. Um, that uh, I've got another Comic Con interview in the hopper in honor of this week, Hasbro. Uh, began their first official competition with Comic Con in Rhode Island. They are hold, they held Hascon. I, I just I I imagine a cat saying that for some reason. Hascon. 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 Oh yeah, I get it. Well, and it's also you know the I can Hascon. It's the the, the, well, the anniversary of the Wrath of Con, so it's uh, has saw it last night. I know. Uh, so uh, Hascon started. So I did have an interview. Which I'm just going to ask, you know, I had a good laugh. Uh, these guys had a good laugh because apparently some sort of emergency was happening on the floor of Comic-Con at the same time. We never found out what. But for very – Hasbro invited me to their booth, said you got to interview uh, John Frazier and John Warden, who are brand, manage, brand marketing guys and designers. Uh, I can't remember who was who. Um, 
and I apologize. It's been a, it's been a couple months since we did this this interview, but it was fun talking about the tra- about Transformers, and at the same time we're in the booth. Not only is there a guy raffling off Transformer posters, like who has a ticket in the background, which I just thought was funny. It's like, come on, why? What do you have us here? Right. And then suddenly it's like, would everyone just stay calm? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh my god, are the, the bumblebee? The, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking is like, is there a war of Decepticons and Autobots outside? And everyone's scared. So anyway, please en- enjoy this conversation with. Uh, with Transformer uh, men who make the Transformers, uh, John Fraser and John Warden from Hasbro. Here at Comic Con at the Hasbro booth uh, for Comic Con 2017, talking Transformers with. Introduce yourselves, guys. Yes, uh, John Fraser, uh, marketing for the Transformers team. Uh, John Warden, design manager on Transformers team. Excellent. So, uh, I guess the first San question Diego I'm going to exclusive Transformers is with all the Transformers products that have happened. Every year you guys come out here with all new kind of stuff. What's What's left to do with Transformers? Got about 10 more minutes of the giveaway, guys. Come well, what's exciting about Transformers is it's constantly evolving. Not only is the fan base, uh, you know, changing, but um, we constantly have new kids that are always into this franchise. So with with awesome things like, uh, you know, our Transformers are robots in disguise. We've got a feature film, The Last Night, and um, we've got a great partnership with Machinima, as well as just, just some of the great toys that we're bringing to the table. Just a kid going through the toy store wants a great toy that transforms into a car or a alligator or whatever. I think it's just it's awesome to constantly have a con- uh, uh, evolving fan base. So um, it's it's always easy for us because we're inspired by a brand that just continues to change. Uh, it's in its nature. Transformers, they change into things. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And so I, I was just going to add, you know, storytelling is so important to everything that we do. Um, no, no more so than in 2017, where we have Transformers: The Last Night, the big theatrical release, uh, but we also have new seasons of Robots in Disguise, um, and then through our partnership with Machinima, we have um, new digital content um, for the Prime Wars trilogy. So, you know, there's been stories written in the past, but we're continuing to write stories, which allows us that uh, that new future of what's yet to come with Transformers. So. We're one and the same. Toys, yes, but also the storytelling. It always evolves. Yeah, and when Trypticon as a design brush. manager, what are the what are the things that you like look forward to look to when you're trying to do a new line or a new new lab? Is it are you looking at new toy technologies? And the challenge of that? Yeah, well, the, the part of the of the franchise that I work on, um, I work on Generations, but also on Premier Class as well as Masterpiece. So we're inspired by the fans of Transformers of all ages. So um, when we when we're at events like San Diego Comic Con, having a chance to, to kind of meet with people and understand what they like, we're actually inspired by um, the stories they tell us or things that we hear, and and we're looking around constantly at like trends. Ultimately, the, the toy industry, in a lot of ways, is like a fashion industry, and we're con- we're constantly looking backwards at things that we've done, but also looking forwards into the future. And how can we take things that might have been like the spark of something fantastic from G1 or Beast Wars or Armada or any of these other eras of Transformers, and and even inspired by the current uh, Paramount feature film franchise, and how do we bring those toy technologies to life in a way that's going to be very very cool? Yeah, well, that's both come up and grab yours. Grab uh, because yours I think now you walk around Comic Con, anybody working on a franchise grew up as a fan of that franchise. So what what got you into Transformers as kids? I'll, I'll let you go first, John. Okay. 
Well, I, I grew up with G1, so I would I would come home from school uh, back then. You know, I would I would uh, I would I would work. Uh, you know, I'd go to not work. Jesus, I would I would uh, I would I was uh, I was doing homework, but I would, after my homework, I would I would watch uh, watch the original G1 show, and and I remember falling in love with characters like Hound and Perceptor and and characters that, that really captured the imagination of so many people from my generation. Uh, and I had all the toys, and I remember sitting in my living room and like uh, with my parents' house and pulling out encyclopedia books to kind of turn into uh, Decepticon headquarters and taking uh, sugar cubes and making them into Energon cubes and, uh, and just having these big imaginative battles. And what's exciting about uh, growing up in a time like the 80s is that, um, you know, I really built a lot of these storytelling pieces that I still try to bring into the work that I uh, that I bring to the table now as a design manager. So growing up, I had an older brother who was a fan of G1, and I remember he brought home, or for Christmas, he had uh, Optimus Prime with the trailer, and I thought he, you know, I thought my older brother was the coolest person in the world anyway, but now with the big Optimus Prime toy, I thought he was really something special. But I didn't really get into it until uh, Beast Wars came out. So that was really around my time, and I thought, okay, well, I knew of a Transformers that my brother was into, but this is way different. So to, to go back to what John said, Transformers, they always evolve. There's new stories to be told. Uh, so there's new stories to be told. So for me to, to see something like Beast Wars, which is very different, but still the core of what Transformers is, I, I was really just sold me. And the show itself was just a game changer at the time for me. It was unlike any other animated show on TV. So that's what really hooked me is how, how different and widespread Transformers is. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, that motivation and that fandom really continues in, in what we do day in and day out. In addition to the fact that, you know, I get to go to work with someone like John, who is also a fan and brings a certain passion. Um, it, it brings out your A-game. I always say with these guys, they're, they're so passionate. I, right, it makes well, me just want to be more passionate about what I do, too. So it's great. What was your favorite toy? My favorite toy growing up was probably uh, Cheetor was my favorite character. Um, so it was a Cheetor that I had gotten as a gift, um, which was always bigger, you know, bigger surprise, bigger uh, thrill for me. Special memory. My, uh, I think Not my exclusive wow. Poster <laughs> There's an exclusive poster here, uh, by yeah. the way. <laughs> the, yes, there is. <laughs> my my favorite Transformer uh, growing up was Roadbuster. Uh, even though he never was really featured in a lot of the entertainment, there was something precise and really fascinating about that character. That toy had a backpack and had all these little pieces you hook hook onto them. Turned into this really fascinating little truck. Um, so I would take uh, Roadbuster and Whirl on adventures. So I'd, I'd have to say that guy's my favorite. So if you could innovate, you've got a really great R&D budget. And your expression tells me you did. No, I, I, but, uh, it's like, what would be the thing that Transformers don't do right now, but that you really, really wish you could make happen? Any, anything? Yeah, why not? We're just spitballing. <laughs> well... First of all, I'd like to try to get a Transformer with a shirt as amazing as the shirt you're wearing right now. That's step one. But no, all seriousness. What just happened? I don't know what that was. May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? The alarm is being investigated by Convention Center Security. Please remain calm and await further instructions. All right. Thank you for your cooperation. Apparently, they've just released poison gas into the building. <laughs> Megatron is outside. <laughs> That's great. 
Yeah. So, uh, so, so actually, you know, in all seriousness, if, if we could develop anything uh, in Transformers, one of my dreams, really, going back to when I was a little kid, is a... Uh, Transformers exclusive... an exclusive poster. That's yeah. the one they got come from. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that, that I'd love to see is a, tra- as a Transformer, they have the ability, ability to learn and think and, and experience real emotions. Um, that is actually able something that, that becomes your companion uh, that's able to experience joy, happiness, and memories. Uh, I think that's going to happen in our lifetime, and I'd love to be a part of that someday. I hope they have a conscience as well. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, that's, that's really interesting. Now, with the, I go broader, the Hasbro-verse, as they say, that's coming, does that touch your job at all? Like, you have to figure out a way the Transformers can interact with. They're releasing, like, little micronauts. All is well. All is well. Uh, Calm down. This is the best interview I've ever done. <laughs> we survived, people! Everyone's going to say, this this sounds cool. This is really, yeah. I mean, who knew we were in the middle of it? It's like being on the Transformers ride. That's right. Uh, But but with that, they've released uh, uh, Micronauts, Rom, uh, G.I. Joe. Does that cross over into, like, is there a corner of, because I know there's a special jet fire that's being released here. Yeah, that's absolutely true. One of the most exciting things about Hasbro is we're part of a big uh, family of awesome brands that bring to the table really great storytelling. So the fact that we're able to bring together the worlds of G.I. Joe, Transformers, and even ROM, Micronauts, Mask, Action Man, it's very, very exciting. Visionaries, it's exciting to be part of that because really it gives an inspiration to me to, to really push the limits. And we work with such an incredible team at Hasbro between marketing, engineering, design. We really all work together. Honestly, we're, we're, we're all kind of a close-knit family. And, and uh, with, with great supporters from, from all the different departments, I feel like anything is possible. So. Good. Well, thank you, guys. I yeah. think that's a great note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> Before the building collapses. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Before Megatron comes in. Thank you for the <laughs> Excellent. I hope that was fun for you. It was, it was fun for me at the time. I hope it was fun for you to listen. So uh, let's get into, since we're still sort of in the comics section, even though I went to, uh, uh, you know, Hasbro. But there are toys. <laughs> there are comics. There are, you know, the, uh, in December, uh, Christus Gage is going to do, there's going to be a Micronauts ROM only crossover through IDW, I'm very excited about that, actually, because those are the two Hasbro properties I care about. No offense to anybody who loves G.I. Joe or Transformers. But I want to turn now to what's in the bag. Let's mm. talk about our comics this week. It's been a while. Okay. Or as the kids say, it's been a minute. It's been a minute? Is that what they say now? Yeah. It's yeah. been a minute. Okay. And that's a, it's a hip phrase. Sure. Which I've just killed yes. uh, by saying It's no longer it. hip phrase. Once I know it, it's over. Word will go out. Yep. Derek used it. Son. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm going to start with issue number five of The Defenders. This is the latest incarnation, which is um, entirely uh, inspired by the Netflix Defenders show. Um, and this has been a really nice book, and it's it's hitting the same, same beats, the same kind of uh, interaction that we're seeing between Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. Luke Cage, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, and in this episode we get a little punisher 
um, this episode, this, this episode, this issue. This issue. Let's try that's to keep how, the, that's how easily they spread back and forth. Well, more people watch the Netflix, I unfortunately, than read the comic. But the and the comic is is actually quite engaging. The storylines are, are well. It's our friend David Walker. I mean, who is yeah. I, again? I, he that we've said it before when we interviewed him. The, he is going to. He's one of the important writers working today in comics because. He's got a perspective. He's got a point of view, and he's not afraid of, of sharing it. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. It's Brian Michael Bendis. I, right. Yeah. I thought uh, I thought Walker. Had, uh, no, he did, he's doing the Luke Cage solo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Bendis is good too. But that's good. I mean, that's good too. And that's also <laughs> being highly influenced by the. Yeah, Bendis is good too. If, if, well, if Bendis well, is listening, you, if you got to get somebody, uh, you know what? I got a quote uh, somewhere. He does love us, so uh, that's. Jeez. Uh, oh, so somebody just screamed their voice out at the at their <laughs> iPhone. I had to stop you. Um, one the one thing that I really loved, and we'll we're gonna talk about this later, I guess. Um, but. I, I've loved the way they've they've squeezed a number of side characters that you'd never, never be on your list of people who had to be in TV versions of Luke Cage or mm-hmm. and and just cross them over like uh, Jared uh, uh, the lawyer. Um, ah, they Foggy Nelson? No, no, no. no. The, the the head of the Rand Corporation. The the Rand Corporation's lawyer. Yeah, Jeremy. No, they they. They made him into a, a woman in the in the, uh, TV in, show. In the uh, Jessica Jones show, and now she's been in in two of the other shows since then. And then um, Claire, mm-hmm. who is probably the most hidden Marvel character of all, because she's Night Nurse Claire Temple, who actually appeared in Luke Cage number two first appearance. So I just read that on Marvel Comics Unlimited. Mm, okay, she's there. She's there because because it really. Um, I think she actually predates that by a decade, maybe. Night Nurse May before it became a superhero. Thing. Right, right, yeah. Um, and there's a new version of Night Nurse in who is absolutely a slinky vamp. Is not at all like, uh, and, but but kind of a dominatrix slinky vamp. You know, like she's very stringent about following her rules about not being able to talk about anybody who she helps. Um, it's uh, it's it's a good book. It's a good solid book, and it's one of those ones where maybe you don't want to pick up all four of the other characters, but if you you buy this, it's like it's like uh, Justice League or the Avengers. You know, you get everybody in well, one book. And, and why? And when I was a kid, that's what I. You know, yeah. I I'm going to flash back here because I'm just realizing Len Wein wrote the first Justice League story that I ever read, uh-huh. which was Who Killed Santa Claus. <coughs> Which introduced me to, uh, which as somebody pointed out, I can't remember who posted this. Um, when the call goes out, Hal slips in the shower and hits his head and is unconscious, so John Stewart has to step in. So my first exposure even to Green Lantern was John Stewart. John Stewart, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and you, you... Before he was on The Daily Show. You never forget. You know that first that first story of oh no yeah uh, of a of a title you know right. and and Len is the is the guy who started introducing all the other teams in the Justice League JSA crossover how you would have the Seven Soldiers of Victory he brought them back and, right and uh, you know later crime well no crime syndicate had happened before but there was another one a year later you know and he set that idea of let's bring in the other freedom fighters mm. um, so you know it, it's. Uh, 
Anyway, bah, but that just reminded me. That just you know, I I gravitated to the team books as a kid because it would be so rare comparatively when you're a kid to thinking about you you know to be get, able to pick up a book and at two ninety nine three ninety nine. I it's, could, it's three ninety nine. Three ninety sure. three ninety nine. Yeah, if you're a kid, I don't know if kids are picking up the defenders, but you know they want the team books. They want an interaction right. because then you see a bunch of your favorite heroes. The villain choices in this are good too because you've gone back to some very basic Luke Cage characters, but you've also got the Black Cat, and she's teamed up with Hammerhead. And there was a really subtle um, scene seen from two different sides crossover between this and Spider Man, the Miles Morales Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Um, where the same scene just crossed through two books without actually causing any ongoing in- interaction. Oh, I miss those days. Cool. They should be happening more often. Very cool. Uh, so I'll put first on mine. Did you have this? I I did. I, I was actually thinking I was going to put it in my stack, and I forgot. Okay. So. Uh, Runaways, number one. It is back uh, by a writer I don't know, Rainbow Rowell. Um and uh, Chris, and the TV show's already out on Hulu. No, no, it's not out yet. It's okay. going to be soon. It's, Somebody was telling me it was out already. They released the trailer. I don't think it's been oh, okay. released yet because uh, I've been checking Hulu. But it's coming out on Hulu. It's coming out on Hulu. Right. Yes, uh, I, I actually have a friend working on it. So um, this is an interesting because I kind of lost track of what happened to the Runaways. I read all the way through the the, the run, time travel, Joss Whedon, and the time travel, and now uh, it's kind of back to the idea. Well, they jumped in some other books too. Yeah, and I and I lost track of some of the uh, some of these appearances. So this actually is trying to undo and sort of restore the status quo that I think is going to happen with the team for the show. Right. Um, which I'm hearing they've made some changes, but they should. You know, I mean, as far as because you got to run a show, not a, right. not a not a book, and you can't do all the things that uh, Joss Whedon ended up doing, say with the run with Runaways. But for those who don't know it, it, it's basically it's six young heroes. They're not young heroes, young people who discover that um, their parents are not who they thought they were, and that they've inherited superpowers. And and then because of course everybody thinks their parents are evil, hypothetically, only in Runaways years ago it turns out their parents were. uh, So they ran away. So they're runaways. And it's, uh, uh, it was a great book in the first time around. Mm -hmm. And I got no reason to believe that this is going to be any less. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's vital. It's one of those books where I think the premise is solid. And then the characters they chose and the ones they made are nicely flawed teenagers that you can write a lot of good, believable stories. Well, and now, you know, they're a little older and they've gone through a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so and that's reflected here. And and I I do, I do like them. And you know, I've always liked them as characters. And it's it's good to see them back. Though I know it's because they have a show. Um, but it's a show. But as a concept, it's like why wasn't this a movie fifteen years ago? Oh, it's a show on Hulu. Even better, you know, because you can really let it breathe. And you could, I think, you can do it well without having to spend a lot of money on special effects. They have the powers, but it was always about the story. Uh, and about the interaction so you can go long stretches not like uh say danny rand um you know got to build up his chi before that fist can become like iron uh i forgot i forgot how to activate my chi <laughs> again uh, okay yeah. anyway um i shouldn't do that because i actually like that show uh you can like the show yeah um so my next book mm-hmm. uh is a book that Every time I pick this up, I read through it and I immediately think, like, who have I not told 
about this book that who would enjoy it. And that is uh, Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughn's saga. Because we're up to issue 46. 46 issues of this. And they take, I think they just got back from a, from one of their hiatuses. They write a number of issues and they stop for a little while. Um, are you up to date on this? You've been reading? No, I'm not up to date. I have them all. Actually, okay. now Luke's gotten up to date, which I feel a little bad. Um, he's up to date, but he didn't start from the beginning. So I need to get, this is one of those that I have all the individuals. But I need to get the books. I need to get. It's it's really funny because if you flip through any of these books, um, Staples' art style is is not intensely um, detailed. It's kind of sparse and um, oh, and a little rough. The the, uh, the I think that's fair, and yet and I'm not saying all, that, and I'm saying the description doesn't sound as pleasing as it actually is and it but what it does is it 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 goes back to a lot of essentials of comics where mm-hmm. the story is not necessarily oh look at there's mount olympus and all the gods and they're all in relaxed poses and i must spend 15 minutes admiring this single panel this is a really quick read every issue is a really quick read which makes it easy to go back and read it a second time and enjoy it again that much that fast and that because it was a quick read i'm always amazed at how they take characters um through their storylines in this and this this book is this issue is basically around two characters who have not been like heroes mm-hmm. but were their situations have put them into situations where they have to be act like heroes or they have the opportunity now to act like heroes and there's a there are cyclic redemption stories in here um it's not like the not necessarily like the scorpio on the scorpion on the back of the frog kind of stuff but people don't always stay heroes so they revert to form in some way because it really is a saga yeah and (laughs) and the uh if only they had a name that reflected that the the other thing about this book is it is it is amazingly bold and just fearless in the way it takes on modern themes and questions and situations and um through very alien science fiction storytelling but examines um the issues like this issue in particular deals with abortion it deals with uh transsexuals it deals with um death and forgiveness um and about the sadness of uh of children losing siblings i mean it's really deep deep storytelling and um but always uplifting and uh an amazing um and it's it's a story like i said it's kind i want to share it it's funny because it's like how years ago we would say like well what's the gateway drug fables was and now saga what i hear from retailers all the time is what's the book when somebody walks in and goes what's good yeah first thing they say is saga yeah plus it's 2.99 an issue and uh you know dc and marvel wish they had that book yeah i mean not necessarily saga but that book that people go this is the the one this is the gateway one right um i'm gonna almost two packet here because i think here's the potential gateway drug i talked about dark knight's metal number one and said uh, about a month ago obviously and said uh you know it's kind of the thing but 
I'm getting into the rhythm of it, of being like, if you are somebody who isn't into comics and you want to say, why do people like comics? Why do people like DC? And let's face it, everything's going to be Batman from here on out. That's the thing. Uh-huh. Batman is always going to be the center of everything because everyone knows who Batman is. But you want to just mess it up and go back into, man, comics are fun. I got the Swamp Thing cover, by the way. Uh-huh. I had to, uh, had to do that. John, uh, John Romita Jr. Uh, with Swamp Thing. Um, but the book I'm actually going to recommend alongside it is... And the, that book was Metal. Dark Knight's Metal number right, two. Right. But they are doing tie-ins. And I'm going to say, you don't need this I, to to understand Dark Knight's Metal. But I got to say, this is a tie-in book that actually was really fun. I buy it anyway. But Teen Titans number 12, because the consequence of Dark Knight's Me- Metal uh, ties directly into this and to, into a fun... Not only, of course, do you have whatever else is going on in Teen Titans with Damien Damian Wayne manipulating yeah. and saying, I'm the leader. But um, the effect of Dark Knight's Metal on Gotham City, and they have to deal with the fallout. And it isn't just them. Uh, Green Arrow appears. Remember those days you'd have that, ooh, and Green Arrow guest right, stars in this right, issue. Right, swings through. Um, you know, and, and it was really fun. And I know what's going on. There's the war of jokes and riddles, but the right. Riddler is the villain in this. And it's just oh. kind of a cool, again, an interesting take, which actually harkens back to, I think, and I'm not going to say Batman the Animated Series, the Batman, uh, kind of the Riddler's appearance. No, I guess it was Batman the Animated Series. There's almost an acknowledgement of Batman the Animated Series. Okay. And so it's, I, that's all I want to say. It, it's just, it was unexpectedly fun. I was buying, going to buy it anyway. And then Perry at Elusive Comics said, uh, you know, no, I read it and it was actually. He he was as stunned as I ended up being a couple hours later when I read it. It's like, this was really a good tie-in, and it didn't feel like, oh, I just had to bought it to be a completist. It was a good, interesting story. Not like, I hate to say it, but, you know, Monsters Unleashed, when you read those cross uh, those tie-in issues and they were by people that didn't get, the, like, the Champions book, that turned me off the rest of the, of the Monsters Unleashed tie-in books because right. they didn't get who the Champions were. This is obviously it's the regular book. They get who Teen Titans are, and it still ties into the larger story, which is insane. And I'm giving into it and 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 loving it. So even though it makes no sense to me, go ahead. <laughs> okay, uh, quite a transition there. Um, so I've got two books in my hand. I'm going to throw one out, um, mentioning. Uh, and of course, mention them together because your praise is going to be the same. I've been doing, I've and they're been, a couple of weeks old. Let's be fair about that. Last week was no it? two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, because I, I, I bought one in Ashland. We've 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 not. We haven't this, been right. right. No, no, no. I just I say so. So, but I, these, I've been regularly speaking the glories of the Jack Kirby uh, King One Hundred uh, issues. They're five dollar books. Every one of them is worth it. Um. And we had dark, sea, dark side, uh, oversized, dark side oversized special. Uh, which I don't think it actually was, but it was uh, or any more than the others. The title is right there. I know, I, I know, I know. It did say that that's now like, with almonds, um, and <laughs> or Omax. It's like a new Omax short story and classic Kirby bonus stories as usual. But the one I want to focus on is the Black Racer. This was bizarre. This was amazing. So, the Black Racer, I loved it. Don't was, get me wrong. No, no, I I want to go way back because the Black Racer, when when Kirby came out with this character, um, 
and I think it was in New Gods. Yes. Um, I don't. You really need to read the essays because Mark Evanier actually explains everything in the. Yeah, book. I, I haven't read the. I, I, I read to. this through quickly. Um, so we've got a color and a sports type, kind of like silver and surfer that's exactly what mark Evanier says is right. most people tried to talk him out of it yeah and he said and thankfully jack ignored me <laughs> and and he's in knight-like armor he goes around on skis with ski poles and the ski poles in the original uh, were the actual implements of dishing out death they'd reach forward and i'm not gonna i'm not going to criticize the the it was just that's the epitome of Jack Kirby just being way out there in creating a character that is not it, it, at once. It's kind of like a character he's done before, but so unlike any other character that has ever and been I, done before. And out of this essay, I'm going to blow your mind. It yeah. was not meant to be part of New Gods. Really, it was supposed to be a separate uh, series. That, and that's why you see, like, so many of those little short takes and and, and how the super, the forever people the seem young, so solo. Young gods. Lonar and yeah. the young gods. But he just wanted them to all be separate. Right. And give them to other people. And, I mean, it is interesting because Black Racer is uh, what what Avenir says is, you know, after Jack created Black Panther, he was angry uh, – with himself that it had taken that long to establish a black superhero because it was high time. Right. And he was trying to come up with as many opportunities to do more. And so this was, you know, the first chance, well, I guess the second chance at DC because the first is the odd in Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen, uh, uh, flip a dipper, dipper. you know <laughs> and so coke <laughs> or, or uh, uh, jinx. jinx no you owe me a coke now yeah. uh i'm sure there's some coke, the you owe me a jinx yeah something like well okay uh <laughs> so but it's also with shiloh norman and in here and this is written by reginald hudlin who was one of the milestone 2.0 guys and a film director oh, yeah. and producer and who wrote uh the black panther revival the first big revival through marvel knights um, and the artist, I think, is Dennis Cohen. Am I right? Yes, yes. So it's it's basically the two of the guys from Milestone 2.0 yeah. um, doing this and tying Shiloh Norman and I was the gonna, Black Racer together so well. It's so much more in this book. And now, it is not the closest to the Kirby style of, of the books. It's, it's actually probably one of the furthest from... Um, the Kirby style oh, but in I the love storytelling. Cohen. I no, love, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying yeah. that as a diss. But the characters he gets in here, it's not just like Shiloh Norman and the Black Racer, but you've got right. Mr. Miracle. Well, I would say Shiloh Oman. Norman was, uh, depending on which reality, right. was which the, universe retelling the of the DC universe was the sidekick, kid right. sidekick who became Mr. Miracle when Scott Free left Earth. Right. So um, he knows all about the new gods, basically. Right. And just like the, the story is just wacko. Um, and I don't know if I could see a series out of it. Like like the other things, it would be kind of cool to like try to revive the Newsboy Legion. Better, honestly, I'm going to say it, than Shaken did. That was very confusing, but it yeah. was. But uh, that was my least favorite as well. But but man, I want another OMAC book in line with what was originally. Yes. As much as I love yes. what Dan DiDio did, I want. Can because can I say while we're talking Kirby? I mean, the last two weeks, I don't know about you, but my Facebook feed has been full of articles, mostly from Chuck Farnham, 
about about Uh-oh. sex robots being reprogrammed to ki- hacked to kill you. Yes, and I thought, isn't that the first issue of, of Omac? Omac, yeah, Lila, who Lila. shows up in this. Yes, and I'm just like Kirby called it forty Did years she open ago. This or Dark Seed. Dark side. Dark side. She's in the Omac she's story. She's in Dark side. Yeah, she's the, in the Omac story because it's a separate Omac story. You even get Viking the Black. Yes, one of the fr- I mean, forever well, people. Well, well, there you go. That's what I'm saying. Is yeah. like Jack was, and, and one of the things that in the wake of you know Secret Empire ended last week, and and with it is the belief that Sam Wilson's going to stop being Captain America. I wish that Jack Kirby had gotten his way. And what I've heard from a lot of different sources is that he believed that Captain America was almost like Captain Universe, that it was should be the mantle should yeah. pass. And he wanted Sam Wilson to become Captain America and that he wanted the mantle to go from character to character because, and I want to remind, remember that in 2017, America is more than a blonde blue eyed right. superhero. Right, right, right. It's everybody and everybody is Captain America. And that's where he wanted to go, but of course nobody would let him. Yeah. Um because it wasn't that's his character anymore. That was what I liked about the Ultimates, because they took the Captain America in that one really was a man who was having a lot of difficulty with the modern day. Mm-hmm. He was still a man out of time, much more than any Captain America I mean yeah, go back to the original Avengers that he's in. I appreciate it as he a one-off right story. I didn't like, you know, I don't like that take on Captain America. Oh, no, but it, I, I, I understand. It's yeah. more like U.S. agent, or, or yeah. you know, uh, yeah. that that kind of thing. Uh, I will go with my last because I'm going to go Kirby. That was another one that was on my possible. Mister Miracle number two. I don't know what's going on. I mean, I do <laughs> sort of, but, um, but you're enjoying the trip, right? Absolutely. I my son read the first issue first before I did, and I said uh, I was going to say wait till I've read it because I was afraid of it. Um, and then he said it's just weird. And then I, I read it and I go no, the first issue I got what was laying out, but it, and it's it's even more trippy than what the vision was in terms of you're getting little bits and pieces of right. the end, right? But you're not going to or, or or rather you're getting little bits and pieces of Act Three in Act One. And you're not going to know what the heck it means. Into yep. and I re- and so I'm torn. Apparently, the sales are pretty good on this because everybody's afraid of that. As I said a couple, uh, you know, about a month ago, don't don't let the what happened to me with the vision happen to you. Right. Which Marvel's still making money. Not only do they release trades of the two trades of the vision, then I think an omnibus edition. They're releasing director's cuts of each individual issue wow. of the vision, so it's popular enough. It's deep enough. I think it's the, that Hugo nod really, really helped with it. What Tom King is doing with this is, in a way that, you know, obviously his Batman writing cannot, that this is taking the taking Kirby's concepts, putting it in a blender. This is an Orion that you're not used to seeing right. because we're seeing Act 3 Orion, or are we seeing Act 1, or are we seeing a prelude? We don't know where in time, in, in the chronology, this is actually happening. Right. I am grateful for a book that I'm going to want to read again. And then it's sort of like reading, you know, uh, it kind of makes me mad that I know what I'm going to have to do is just buy the trades so that I can sit down in one place and go and reread that way, you know, in a, in a book. Right. Uh, But I, but I I want to keep buying the individual issues. Is it listed as an, a limited series? It's is 12 it? issues. 12 issues. Okay. It's 12 issues. That's one thing I forgot to mention is I am seriously hoping that all the Kirby specials, 
are going to get put into a single omnibus. Oh, I'm sure those will, yes. Because I think that they're, I mean, it, they they kind of go together, but again, you don't need to you don't need to have read anything. Well, and prior. they're kind of different takes yeah. on, on 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 the same con. You know, when you <laughs> when you've got Orion, right? Because we had an Orion version that was sort of a separate out there story. Right. Mark Evanier's dark side story is it because it doesn't really tie into the larger. It's just and but it, I think there's something to say about the mythology of these things. And again, the older I get, the more I go. This is just we accept. You said cyclical. This is like Ragnarok over and over again. Mm-hmm. We're just going to keep seeing rifts, and maybe that's not a bad thing. If this time around, it's, it's like the Dark Tower, right? You know, they did. Um, now we're going to see this take around, and I shouldn't say Dark Towers like this. Really, is yeah. the other way around. But that's the way I appreciate it. Stories keep getting told, and they're going to get retold a little bit here and a little bit there, and it's going to change up. And it's kind of way comics really need to be because you've got characters that are 40 years old no and right? i said that like i can't yeah. give luke old stuff yeah i i can't i've tried um the only the only one that he has uh placated me on was i handed him the uh, alan brennert batman book because it's the only one of those hardcovers that i have and i said you don't have to read the you don't have to read the whole book you have to read to kill a legend mm. because i think this is the greatest batman story ever told and he read that and he said, "You're right. This is a good. This is a really good story. I won't be reading the rest of these. You know? <laughs> oh, you'd love Holy Terror, but you know, but it is still. Um, and it's like I bought Shazam, the showcase edition, because I thought, well, when he was young, and so you like, I won't read black and white. Uh, and you know, and kids are just they're just raised. Yeah, to think you know, it's like appreciating a black and white movie. You have to reach a certain age." Right. Um, you know, before, of course, there's that crisis. We're, we're transitioning into movies anyway where they're saying, like, millennials don't believe in classic films. And I think, why should they? I get that. It's, it's loaded, you know. Uh, although, as I said, you know, my son did want to watch the original King Kong after after seeing Kong of Skull Island. Or, yeah. <clears throat> sorry, Kong Skull Island. Kong of Skull Island is the one that's in a lawsuit. Uh, you know, so uh, that's the Boom Studios book uh, right. from Joe DeVito. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is just the stories have to be new. And I think about that as sort of the vaguely classical scholar that I've sometimes pretended to be when you look at, like, the history of Shakespeare. The Shakespeare plays that lasted, there was a good 200 years where the people were performing Shakespeare plays that weren't actually Shakespeare. The actors were rewriting the stories mm-hmm. and keeping the stories alive. And then there's the Lamb Shakespeare for like the expurgated, uh, well, Boulder. That's why we call it Boulderizing. Like all the dirty stuff was edited out in oh. the early 19th century so that nothing that was untoward would affect the people. And I can't remember which tragedy it was. One actor, Collie Sibber, I think, this is getting really intellectual um in, in the 18th century rewrote one of the tragedies as a comedy and it might have been it might have been romeo and juliet had a happy ending so for like 30 years british audiences thought that these tragedies ended happily wow because they didn't like you know so i mean and that's the thing is you just go um it's almost like that marx the great march marsh brothers story where george s kaufman was the playwright of uh coconuts and he was sitting in the back row and the audience was laughing and his friend next to him was like ah, this is hilarious and he goes Shh, i think i heard one of my actual lines and you know so <laughs> that, that was kind of going on with it so i mean we do we do remix and we do retell and the problem with being our age and with so much still in print is 
we've gone through about five iterations of right, this right. Uh, or six and you know but but kids haven't and uh, there was i can't remember what it was that my son was asking about um the continuity of a character and i said well is this still <laughs> like i don't even know in the in the in rebirth if this was still acknowledged and i think there's a moment in one of these books where there's a reference to something where i'm like that's oh i guess they don't oh no no i was just reading i've been reading justice league dark from New 52. And Swamp Thing appears in the third trade paperback, so probably issue 16 or 17, uh-huh. and says, I've heard of you, Constantine. And I got really ticked for a moment because I'm like, right. there is no Constantine without Swamp. Oh, it's the New 52. Right. This time around, they're not connected. Though. They're not connected. At the root. If you will. Uh, let's talk movies, shall we? <laughs> I, I was the. Um, oh, never mind. I was just going to let that pun hang and go, and that's all right. Um, Once again, there's been trouble in Lucasfilm. And uh, Colin Trevorrow, who was scheduled to write and direct Episode 9, was unceremoniously uh, dumped last week. Uh, And so after search, you know, we realized we just had that after uh, young Han Solo, Mm -hmm. uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who don't worry, they have a a series at ABC. It was announced today. They'll get by. They'll get by. They'll be okay. They'll be okay. Um, Yeah. yeah. Uh, They were dumped. Ron Howard replaced him. And then uh, so Colin Trevorrow was let go. And they announced this week that J.J. Abrams will be stepping back into the director's seat to bring this trilogy. And her writing, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, it's going to be his again, and I'm hoping that the mystery box is finally opened and there are no secrets. Because the weird thing is that what I, I I'm I'm not hearing anybody talk about an episode ten that at which I'm surprised, and I, and I mean even Lucas. You mean Stone. as far as Hollywood saying, no, we and need another one after this because we're no money they, making they, machine. There are going to be Star Wars movies, but there'll sure. be Star Wars stories, right? That they're looking at that uh, a young Obi Wan can. That's a, a better way to do uh, it. Obi Wan. I would agree. I said it in the universe. Acknowledge, create, which they're sort of creating something new. Because mm-hmm. good Lord, after Force Friday 2, Porgs. Porgs are everywhere. Um, I don't even know what the Porgs are, but good Lord, uh. are they going to be what every child wants for Christmas or already has? Because they sold us to us as Force Friday, uh, you know, got up at midnight again. <sighs> good Lord, No. I did not. And I just I go, said no. <laughs> I went to a Disney store the next night. I went and down to uh, Santa Clarita and had dinner with Nate and, and Tiffany. And uh, and we went to the Disney store. Stephanie and I went to the Disney store. And all they had left were Porgs. So we got a Porg. And I got the posters. So apparently if you went to Force Friday at the Disney store, they gave away prints of the um, Scarlet uh, Last Jedi posters that they had done. So I got a little pack of that that was free they said you want it we've got one left so you know got that for free um which is cool because it's the only thing i would have possibly wanted but now i need another wall um so I, you know like i say I, I don't know what the porgs are but that's beside the point we're going back to they're like um what's the one from little, little abner uh smooth well so they just want you to eat, enjoy life if it involves cooking them they're fine they are that. they are guinea pigs with duck feet yeah they, but they and they look They're vaguely unlike the schmoo, bowling pin shape. The schmoo, which are happy and are like, "Yes, please eat me." The porg have an expression, a constant expression. That looks like, "Are you going to eat me?" <laughs> right. Uh, so, I mean, marketing genius. Uh, but I, I don't want to go take away from 
I almost wanted to have Drew Campbell on because Drew Campbell apparently intensely disliked The Force Awakens. <coughs> so he's unhappy that J.J. Abrams is returning for whatever episode nine is called. Okay. But, he's not the first person. I, I ran into several people who were concerned about it themselves. But we're back to the cyclical thing is what I would like to see uh, Disney and Lucasfilm do is with the Star Wars stories – Take a few, maybe a few risks with the Star Wars stories, which mm-hmm. they didn't do. But I've said before, and after I watched The Force Awakens, and we'll see what Ryan Johnson did, does with The Last Jedi, which seems sounds darker. But but Star Wars now is a communal experience. It, it, it's on, I, I've said this to a few people, and they go, they laugh and go, yeah, that's kind of it. It's like Catholic Mass. I think I've even said this on the podcast. It's like Catholic Mass. You go. You you say the same you say the same things in unison. You get a homily that changes things up a little bit, and then you say more things in unison, and you take communion. And, and in this case, popcorn. Let's go out to the lot. But I mean, it is you when people complain that the Force Awakens hit the same beats as as yeah. a, a New Hope. It's like yeah, because at this point, that's what people want. They want that reassurance that they're that Star Wars is Star Wars. Well, they didn't have those beats in the first the first trilogy when they sent and yeah, not as popular. Well, I mean, yeah, they, there are some things that the, the locations are the same, and it really goes back to and it's it's Flash Gordon. You know, you follow yeah. the Empire Strikes Back. The worlds they go to are the worlds of Mongo, right, right. the different the different lands of Mongo, and you just go, eh. You know, it's all it's all happened before. It's all happening again. There's a I can't remember, but what the actual there's a fancy word for it, like a ring storytelling idea that you, that these echo back around and around, and I Arbus? and I'm like. What? Oribus? No, 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 no. There's, it's a storytelling technique oh. that's old um, that goes back to like the Eddas and the okay. two epics. And, you know, it's, I accept that. And J.J. Abrams is maybe not the creative genius that people want the, this mo- these movies to have. But the thing is, they, they're not just communal experiences, they're product. And as much as I wish that there were, were otherwise, and, I, and I'm going to say something radical, George Lucas was actually trying to be radical by hiring Seth Green to do that um, side comedy series involving it, and he had a better sense of humor about Star Wars. And certainly when you read what Dark Horse was doing, uh, you know, right. they were going into so many different places, and the games went, but... But under Disney's watch, it stayed very focused and centered. You notice that, like, it's interesting that Marvel let Doctor Afra happen, and that, <sighs> and that those two psycho droids are are coming. Yeah, when you think about you think about like when uh, when DC had Star Trek, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they nearly lost it because they were writing stories that were in, that were involving characters who weren't part of the main crew. Mm-hmm. Right, and there were you know there was a Native American and uh, oh yeah, other, Peter da- Peter David was uh, basically cling, I think I think he was actually fired from the book right and by Paramount and they were they, and that's totally risk averse to the point that, you know that the sandbox the Holy Roddenberry sandbox must never be left un yeah and and that's where Star ordered. Wars is at and I think under Disney's watch they've like I said they stayed the novels tend to be very focused now mm-hmm. there are books of short stories uh an acquaintance of mine George Mann is in these has just 
included with the with a, I can't it was like forty short stories that are kind of like to celebrate the anniversary. There's a collection. Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, you know Landry Walker, who we met, had done some things with the with aliens. Uh, some stories. So they're they're letting them, but they're not major. The books are made. I mean, you know, and that's why you have to get out of the trilogy. Get out of being major. You know, if well, once, and that's once, to say, do do a sixty seventy million dollar uh, if you can. Is that a, is that a fair price these days? I don't know, uh, but do a Doctor Afra. Right. Show me one. Well, you've got so you've got a Wookiee that's recognizable. You've got an evil version of C three PO. Basically, mm. that's recognizable enough that people go, okay, and that's a really messed up movie. It's gonna be. There's no way around so it. It's basically like a Tarantino movie in Star Wars. Yeah, you know, you know but that that satisfies us, but that's not going to satisfy the people that are going to Star Wars Mass every, every year. That's true. That's and J.J. Abrams, by the way, they 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 had said that Episode Nine was going to make it back into that May slot. Mysteriously, no, it's been pushed back to, <laughs> to <laughs> December again. Um, so I, you know, I'm not unhappy with the choice. It's just to say it's. Lucasfilm is protecting a brand and a product, and the movie is almost third yeah. to it. I'll, I'll be happy when – I mean, I was happy with – Got to sell more Porgs. I was happy with The Force Awakens. Good I'm looking forward to The Last Jedi. I, I love I, The Force Awakens, and I'm very excited about The Last Jedi. The The idea that, that they finish this – I'm actually looking forward to them finishing it off so they can tell some of the stories that are not epic, that are smaller perhaps – or you know, let's you know. I, I wasn't really satisfied with um, Rogue One as a heist film. You know, I'd like to see a real like Han Solo heist film. There were a number of. I think the, the first that version that we'll never see, yeah, of Rogue One was a heist film. Yeah, and I think that's what they intended. And then somebody else came in and redirected that. Yeah, and reshot. You know, so it was so, more like Band of Brothers at the end instead of a ice film. You know? Yeah, well, we, I mean, and it made sense. I was still satisfied by Rogue One. True, but it was not. It it, it just didn't. It didn't have the communal. Where's our David Mamet Star Wars film? I don't want that. Um, <laughs> no, 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 um, no. Spanish prisoner. No. Tatooine Buffalo. Uh, no. Uh, so let's go to Hellboy news, speaking of product. No, because this, uh, we got our first picture of David Harbour as Hellboy. I've, I've included in our agenda, but it's also on Fanboy Planet. You can check it out there. Um, looking very much like a James Bama painting of Doc Savage. Um, Even the position of his head. The, the kind of, the jaws thrown out a little oh, bit. Oh, no, I actually compared. Yeah. Uh, Bama's Man of Bronze painting, it's more straight on yeah i'm sorry i I blocked my windscreen it's more straight on and as you can see that because i also put that i put an article comparing them side by side so harbor is looking up doc is looking a little more down um it's not perfect but the pose is and the shadows on the torso shadows are are not on the face that's what's interesting is bama painted him in full light uh but that is so getting particular uh, for people, but uh, I think the biggest—that's what we do. The, the biggest thing we talk, uh, that we didn't talk about was there was can- uh, there was controversy over a character named uh, Ben Daimio, which I admit um, it's been a long time since I've actually read Hellboy, but it's one of those on my list of I must grab these trades mm-hmm. and get them. Which coincidentally, uh, Dark Horse is going to be releasing omnibus editions throughout 2018. Uh, so you can get them, but I, I, I don't know which version, I, which way I want to get it because the omnibus are chronological, which is not the way 
that Mignola told the story. No, it's not. But and knowing if you've read all the stories is really difficult because of that. You 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 don't. I'm sure I've missed a couple of. Um, well, then maybe you series. maybe you're going to get the omnibus. And I want to say, hey, uh, the omnibus editions that Dark Horse are going to release are um, trade paperbacks, not hardcovers, okay. for twenty five bucks a piece. Four volumes that will cover the Hellboy saga, then two volumes of the short stories that were done you right. know, here and there. This is not including BPRD, but I but I was going to say so. Like, so I've got this, like a hundred issues of BPRD that I haven't read. But this Ben Daimyo character is part of BPRD and is half Japanese, yeah. and they had cast Ed Skrine, who was Ajax in Deadpool, and who is not in any way, shape, or form Asian. Um, unless we do that 23 and me thing and find way back when he is not, he actually stepped down because he did not realize when he was offered the part uh, that an, that no Asian actor had been considered. So he actually tweeted out and said, no, I'm leaving this role because we need, it's the responsibility of Caucasian actors to, to stand watch out and stand yeah. their ground and say, look, we don't need to be these characters right. that we need. So Daniel day Kim, from Lost and Hawaii Five-0, oh, who good. was just let go from Hawaii Five-0, because despite the fact that the only reason I ever watched an episode of Hawaii Five-0 is because I like Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park, uh, they decided, CBS had decided that they should not pay those two actors as much as the two white leads. Uh-huh. Uh, so they left the show, and Daniel Day Kim is stepping in, and this is going to be a huge step up t- for him to play Ben da- Damio. So that's really cool. Uh, and, uh, so it, it is moving forward. It has begun filming and that's why they released the photo. And I love the photo. And I think from a franchise perspective, as much as I enjoyed Hellboy and the golden army, I guess Hellboy two, the golden army, right. Um, they were a trilogy. They were locked in. It was going to, we were never going to see, and we're never going to see episode three, but it was, it was clearly and heading for an ending. Everything was foreshadowing where it was all going right, to end. Right. Whereas I don't think a studio is interested in that anymore. They want a shared universe. And you've got a scary shared universe potential. I'd say potential because I'm also annoyed by any movie that any studio now just going, we're doing a shared universe. Let's do King Arthur. The, the round table <laughs> is a shared universe. Uh, I'm sorry. I just had a, a little aneurysm. Uh, Gun smoke. Uh, what gun smoke hmm no uh, <laughs> it, uh well you know I, i'll talk a little bit about dark universe with the next with the next story you know that hellboy could you've got yeah. bprd you could do an abe sapien story you could do bprd on their own mm-hmm. without um i also want to say you know ian mcshane is stepping as professor broom brutalheim which is john hurt played in the del toro ones but ian mcshane I'll watch anything in machines. Absolutely. Anything. Absolutely. So I, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to this. Neil Marshall is directing and it, it's going to be fun. So the, uh, the dark universe thing I was going to say is of course this weekend, it was released, uh, broke all records, box office records for a horror film, let alone an R rated horror film. I think it was 117 million in its opening weekend. Wow. Also broke records for September. And I'm saying this is the thing is like you for months have convinced us this was going to be a scary movie mm-hmm. and you released it after Labor Day. So people were starting to think about Halloween and getting into it's the season for scary things. If Universal had released had waited and uh-huh. done the mummy as a Halloween movie, 
They might have done maybe better. Yeah. Might have. Yeah. It's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie. But it, however, was actually really good. Um, watching it, I just say, I am reminded how many things have ripped that book off, uh-huh. including our beloved Stranger Things, which two cast members from Stranger Things are in it. It was a total uh, homage. <laughs> I mean, that, Stranger Things is a homage to that whole you know, yeah. Goonies. But and, they, yeah, but yeah. they, you know, and they changed some things for the movie. I thought it was done really well. The the funniest moment for me, this is not a spoiler, and you are totally expecting it anyway, is that we know that it was, because we've talked about this, this is, this is part one, it's the children, and that if they get to, if they are now definitely going to get to make chapter two, there's no reference to the adult versions oh, of them at all. Interesting. But the end titles, just, they is bring... Didn't the TV version tell it all in flashbacks? Yes, the TV yes. version told it all in flashbacks. I just watched it, and yeah. I thought it was funny. Um, but I think that the studio, hand, I think it was Warner Brothers, handled this really well, which was they weren't positive that it was going to make money. And I've seen so many first movies of franchises that awkwardly handled this idea of, because uh, I don't want it to be a franchise. I want it to be two movies and be done. Right. But to awkwardly handle this where, well, if we don't get to make the rest of the movies, we have to answer some questions. So like, the golden compass fails utterly at this. Right. Um, it just sort of ends, and you're like, <laughs> and of course, then nobody was satisfied because they didn't right. know what it was. Uh, the series of unfortunate events, the movie, has to like answer everything at the end and right. going, but you're only three books in. And um, I'm trying to think, oh, Percy Jackson did a horrible job although and then they got to make a second movie and then tried to and then had to undo things or change the meaning of things miss peregrine did a good job i haven't seen it um closing it but yeah that's a trilogy too but they just did the first book but i'm not positive that it was intended to be so as a book as a book i think that that when the book was first released it was it was like oh it got successful so we'll continue but uh this definitely and i just thought hilarious you know, you go through the credits, it, the title comes back up again. And like John Carter of Mars says it chapter one and somebody stands up and goes for real. Damn. <laughs> like It's not a spoiler because if you know the material, it's obvious that it's only, <laughs> but the, t- but at the beginning of the movie, it doesn't say chapter. At one. least it didn't say episode four. <laughs> It, I was went with Jason Salazar, and we just lost it. We were just that's that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but it was a very satisfying. If if there were no part two, it would it's it's still solid. it's a it's a very satisfying stand on its own. Interesting performances. Some things literalized in ways that I didn't like, but some changes made a lot of sense to me. And for a movie, and that's what it is. It's a movie. It's a retelling. We're back to that thing, right? right. It's a retelling of Stephen King, of ideas that Stephen King put out. Um, they are talking. They're ready for this. They're working. I, I don't think Warner Brothers has officially announced it, but the the director is already working with his uh, producer wife to uh, to start developing the script for the second, the second one. And they've already laid out some things. And now that this I find interesting – They've got a fantastic kid cast, absolutely fantastic kid cast, and they hadn't yet identified any adults to play the kids. And I thought, 
you're kidding me. You didn't you didn't nail anybody right, down when you've right. got. And it's funny because they want for Beverly. They're talking about bringing Jessica Chastain in. They want her, and it's like you watch this and you go, no, this is what Amy Adams looked like as a kid. Hmm. It it's just there's just no question. It's like why didn't you just get? A, a, I know Jessica Chastain is kind of the flavor right now, but right. Um, I it's one of those that I'm like, yeah, she'd be good. But this girl looks like she's going to grow up to be Amy Adams. It's not Adams. like Amy Adams is stale or anything. Right? No, and the way they've changed it. The only thing that I maybe thought was odd was that they updated, because then they made it more Goonie-like, is that they updated the book so the kids are in the 80s. Whereas the book is this is like 1960. Yeah. And there are things where uh, there's one key reference left in that made sense in 1960, and I don't think a kid hmm. would, would know in 1988. Okay. But other than that, you know, it, but but what it means is that by 2016, they're, these kids are 40. So you're looking for an act, for actors that are in their 40s. And uh, there, there'll be no question question of that. And Amy Adams would fit just perfectly in. So that's my only request slash prediction. Um, I'm but, sure Amy appreciates. No, I'm sure she does. I've I've supported her career for years. Uh, but I love yeah. I really enjoyed the movie. I don't know if I would say it was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Far from it, actually. But it was fun. I enjoyed it. And I think it's one of those things I've got many friends that are super, super horror fans who are like, well, I wasn't scared at all and blah, blah, blah. I'm very picky about my horror films. Thing. It's kind of not. I'm, I'm just back into that. It's an adventure with scary elements. And that's okay because maybe people don't see that many you know, they don't go to the movies. I mean, I'm realizing this is a movie that I'm just going to complain. Uh, the way movies are, if, if it's a movie that's interesting and out there, I missed my window of a week, week and a half to see Brigsby Bear. And now I have time and I was trying to find a theater and I'd, ha- and I'd have to go to one theater in the entire Bay Area in Oakland of all places still has it. Hmm. And I'm like, I, that's way too far for me to go, yeah, yeah. you know. I, but I was just like, I have to work. I'm, I'm surrounded by movie theaters. Not one of them has this, which if you don't know Rigsby Bear, the reason it, it would inter- interest Family Planet listeners is Mark Hamill is, is in it as in kind of a pseudo-villain role. And it's kind of a quirky comedy drama, weird question about our, about our TV watching lives and, uh, you know, again, I've just this before. I love that Mark Hamill's got his third act, where people are now giving him challenging character roles. Yeah. Aside from he's going to come back as Luke Skywalker and be great in that, but you know that that people are going well. Maybe we should try him for something outside of just being oh, it's you know it's nostalgia factor. You know, yeah. it's something interesting. Yeah. So, um, uh, so anybody has seen Brigsby Bear, write into editor at fanboyplanet dot com and tell me. Oh yeah, you missed a great movie. Yeah, I know. I put out there when you know what's the <laughs> where's it going to stream? I'm desperately paying attention to Amazon and Netflix and Hulu. Going, is that where it's going? Can I? You know, I might even pay for an on demand if if it shows up on Amazon and makes say you can watch it for five bucks. I'll pay the five bucks. Sure, I'll, cheaper than going to Oakland. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, speaking of Amazon, let's go to TV. Uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who did a pretty good job of adapting Preacher to television are taking The Boys, the Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson graphic novels, to Amazon. Talk about a challenge. Did you read all of it? Uh, I got through about volume eight. I read every issue all the way up to the end. That's Oh, you know exactly why DC dropped it. Paul Levitz, and I, and I give Paul Levitz credit. 
Um, for those who don't know, I mean, it's a very vicious look at the superhero world. Oh, yeah. Uh, but with characters who are not superheroes uh, are the boys. They're super powered. Yeah, yeah. but um, I totally get why Paul Levitz said, we're dropping it, but to his credit said, I recognize it's a good book. I just don't like it, and DC shouldn't right, be publishing right, it. Right. And he gave the rights back over to them and said, go ahead, find a publisher to continue it. So. I have the like I said I have the first eight. I, yeah. It got pretty savage then, so um, you know it's. Oh, it's just the, the violence and the sex and the uh, the combination of of. I mean, it's got some great story in it with the way characters evolve and change and are betrayed and then betray back and uh, it's it's an amazing story. I'm a little worried that somebody's going to adapt it and just soft it down to the point where it's I don't think happen. that Amazon will I, I don't know have you watched the tick yeah I have uh, that I think that got much darker and was very in- <laughs> I love the first episode where he's trying to figure out if the tick is real or not and they- Oh, I'm or glad, you see him too? <laughs> I'm, I am glad that they resolved well, that in a way in that one, I was happy. In the first episode. Yeah. But I was not – no, it's not. It's the third episode oh, yeah. is when he actually they confirmed that the tick is real. But, but that my – I – my son and I watched it and then I was taken aback how bloody it got, how violent – because, of course, I'm comparing it in my head to right. the Fox series. Right. And uh, so – Luke was a little startled, but we watched the the whole, which is more sitcommy. Um, but it's bloody, and there's a lot of swearing that you know. I, I mean, I, I mean the original Fox one. The Fox one is more sitcommy, yeah. uh, very much. And, you know, the, it's seven episodes that you can watch in pretty much any order uh, after the first one. That it, you know, um, but I enjoyed it, and I like that Alan Tudyk is in there as the the Knight Rider boat, uh, which I I should throw in there too. Um, If you guys, you know, sci-fi just relaunched a con man and showed the whole first season. Mm, Yeah. They're doing two episodes back to back to make it as a half hour show because they're like 10 minute webisode, mostly 10 minute webisodes. Right. Uh, I binged season two a few weeks ago and like, oh my gosh, what hilarious. Because it's weird. It's rare when I'm sitting on like watching a show on my laptop because it's on Comic-Con HQ. When I'm watching a show on my laptop alone and laugh out loud, but Con Man Season 2 made me laugh out loud by myself quite a bit. So that came with a Comic-Con HQ subscription? I subscribed it and I realized... no additional charge? That might make it worth the subscription. Well, actually, they've got a lot of stuff... That I have to go back in. I hadn't. I hadn't looked on the. I've been paying for subscription um, and not noticed. Not really checked back in on Comic Con HQ for a while, and I went. You know, I never did watch season two, so I went in and then I looked at some of their movies. I'm like, there's some fascinating stuff, including they have the Peter Cushing Doctor Who films. Oh, those are so not good, but fun to watch. <laughs> no, I, well, I know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's they finally settled on the niche that I thought they should have, which is. These are the obscure things. Uh, and I'll call out. I can't believe they got this because I thought no one was ever going to see it again. The Glenn A. Larson produced Nightman, which is the only superhero, the only adaptation of a Malibu Ultraverse com- comic. Right. It's two seasons. Marvel owns it, but won't do anything with the Ultraverse characters because why should they? They have to split the money with somebody else. Right. So I thought that that series was just going to be dead. It's not great. It's not bad. 
and it's just weird to realize. Did he have a rubberized suit? In yeah, that? yeah, yeah. It was it's like one of the early ones. Batman. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, they've got a lot in their movies. I I forgot. I like I I just because now you can you can add things to your list and just favorite. So I need to go back in and like you know because I can only watch it on my laptop. It's when I'm sitting there and I have a couple hours. I I picked out I think like ten movies that I know is like I've always wanted to watch that. I have never watched that. I need to watch that, you know. So it's there's a lot of content on there that was better than when they first launched. Um, I'm going to go to another one, Crackle, just because I think we, you and I, would have fun. We uh, two years ago got to was it two years ago or a year ago? We got to, two years ago. We got to interview Keegan Michael Key yep. for the Crackle series. Real good interview. Super Mansion. So they're doing their Halloween special. Drag me to Halloween, and uh, <laughs> it's going to premiere on October 5th. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I want to talk streaming services a little bit because, do you know, Netflix st- stock dropped like by four percent last week because Disney announced right. Marvel and Star Wars movies are going to their new streaming service in 2019. Right. It's still like two years away, but it it's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to hurt. And I, I don't know why anybody would be surprised by that, but I have again heard. Uh, the rumor, and I say it's only rumor that it'll be five bucks a month. Realities, the and they're going to pro, and they're saying that they're going to do original programming as well. So if they, if they got a Marvel series mm-hmm. that was on, that was only to that, it might be worth five bucks uh, a month. Yeah. Plus, you get all those movies. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, like, I have almost all the movie Disney movies I want to watch. Unless you reopen the Disney vaults, if you gave me a place. Because I can't watch it, I can't find a DVD. Well, the D- I can find the DVD. It's like a hundred bucks. A Patrick McGowan as the Scarecrow of Romney oh, Marsh. Right. Yeah, I'll subscribe for a month just so I can pretend that one day I'll have the time to watch the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh, <laughs> because that is like a, a a holy grail for me. Of I really want to see it. Give me access to those. I remember watching that as a kid on TV when it first came out, and yeah, being scared. No, he scared the crap out of yeah. me. And then I had an album, a record. Oh, remember those yeah. things? Too? Oh yeah. With the, just the theme record. song. No, I didn't have oh, a story. story. I just had an album of, of theme songs, and it had the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh, and the laugh on that. Uh-huh. And it's one of those things I don't remember much about watching. I know I did see it, but I just re- I, one of those things that stuck with me since I was three is is like saying goodbye, like releasing people. <laughs> I don't even remember that he was heroic. I have pieced together later because I read an adaptation of the, a novel adaptation of it that he was a good guy i didn't remember him as a good guy i just remembered him as being an absolutely terrifying scarecrow right right, right. and you know just going it's kind of like bye bye and like it was ghostwriter of the yeah uh, of the disney universe yeah. <laughs> um so i'd love to see that you know give us a place where people can stream zorro because i i bought the disney vault zero uh, zorro uh dvds uh-huh. that show stands up that show really stands Guy up. Guy Williams. Guy, absolutely. Little, tight, concise little adventures. Yep. And, and, and kids need a place and to discover comic that. comic relief in it, too. That it's yeah. Not, yeah. You know, so anyway, speaking of comic relief, let's, let's go to, I think, the other big sci-fi thing. Our last podcast was interviews with Seth MacFarlane and company for the Orville. Now the first episode has come out. Or I'm sorry, let's just call it the pilot because I think that most of the criticisms that I'm reading are like, this is the pilot, people. Remember right, that. That right. pilots have a really tough job and and an awkward job, with the exception of the Netflix model. Um 
because I'm sorry, you also wanted to talk about the defenders and to say that, you know, that that's the thing is like every single Netflix series has done the same for me is even with a shorter series like that, like the defenders, right. it was just two episodes shorter and Maybe more concise. At I least, would, at least this one was only two episodes shorter. If uh, like I could really trim a lot out of, of uh, Daredevil season one and Jessica Jones, I'm pretty sure I could trim almost all of Iron Fist out. Uh, but but that's and I know I, I can get Iron Fist down to half. I know that hurts you, um, but I think you know as I, as I said before, I think that that they claim this wasn't in response to the criticism. And this I believe because I think that they they finished Iron Fist and rolled right into production on the on the Defenders, so right. they hadn't really had a chance to organize. I think the weird choice about Iron Fist is that maybe by the end of this first Defenders miniseries, I don't know if they're planning to do another, um, maybe Danny is becoming is uh, on the way to becoming the hero that we want him to be. Yeah. But it was a bad choice. If you're going to say, okay, can I say these things now? And I still didn't finish sure. Iron Fist. If he is the protector of Kun Lun, uh-huh. he... Utterly failed at that. Right. He had one job. You had one job. Yeah. They made fun of the fact that he tells everyone who he is. Right. And that he keeps forgetting. No, he tells everyone, I'm the immortal Iron Fist. I'm the immortal Iron Fist. And, you know, and, and he's dumb, which I've gone back. He's, and, he's an innocent. You know, well, there's innocent and he's dumb. <laughs> and I think that that, but, but the thing is, where does education stop? He got trained by all the things that Kun Lun wanted him to be. Right. I think it's a criticism, and if I'm right, this is a pretty savvy criticism. From the moment they they announced that guy Finn um, right Riley's, uh, I don't know Finn. I know it's Finn, right. Finn Jones. I think uh, his casting. There was talking about there's that white savior cliche again. And I said I think it's a criticism of that because you chose this guy, and he's utterly, utterly failed at every aspect of what he was supposed to do. That it's Colleen who's really competent, and I think people aren't are, are kind of missing because they're they're mad. But when the show, when the Defenders settled into, oh yeah, he's also insanely rich. When you play up the Batman aspects of him, when he's like, oh, we're gonna stay here because I'm gonna buy dinner for everybody at the Chinese right, restaurant. Right, right. You don't have to go down the I menu. Bought it, bought the whole menu. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, and I, I didn't even buy the restaurant. I bought the restaurant. <laughs> you know, Why are we staying open? I bought the restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's his superpower. There's only thing he's good at right now is right. being rich. So I he, accepted that. He was that. better in The Defenders than he was in his own show. Oh, I, I could not. I, yeah. I still, I've only watched about four episodes of, of Iron Fist. And I might skip to the end just to see what happened there, but you know, it I, was, the reason why it took me so long to get to Iron Fist is I stalled out many times on I stalled out on just about everything except for Luke Luke Cage. Luke Cage, I had no problem watching all the way through, uh, but even Jessica Jones, there were a couple of episodes where I just kind of like oh, I can no, watch I'd that. Say it or, could be it, Jessica Jones as good as that was. I I I think Luke Cage is the best. And I think partially because Luke Cage. Get, I love that they embraced a perspective that I don't know. Uh, you know, that I felt like, yeah, there's something really honest. This is this this wasn't necessarily being done for me, and yet I it was accessible enough that I could I could really get into it. And it it had a lot of canon in it. It had a lot of characters yeah. that that so I I'm going never back thought and, that uh, they would have used. I'm it. going back into Marvel Comics Unlimited and reading Luke yeah. Cage because I never had, and I'm like. 
again, I've said before, I can't believe how well that Run. book stands up. They use up. Cottonmouth? That Cottonmouth it's, that, is the main? Yeah. But isn't he like the first? No, Diamondback is the first villain. Um, but In the comics. In the comics. But I mean, I still can't believe how well the comics stand up. They yeah. read so well from a 72 or 73. 73, I think. You know, yeah. whereas Iron Fist does not quite as well. I've gone back and read some of those. Uh, but I love Iron what Fist David Walker tr- did with Power Iron Man. Fist and Iron was, Fist was trying to spin off the the grindhouse. No, I, I know what it was. Films. Well, yeah. and, and so was Luke Cage. I mean, Luke Cage was black exploitation. Sure. And the series, the TV series, embraced that, moder- modified it. You know, modernized it, not modified it. Modernized it, and you've got a great, strong protagonist. Um, with, with few exceptions, though, black exploitation films typically had better stories than. The kung fu action films. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I, you know, but they're both things that I I did not get into as a kid. I no. was, you know, um, my parents influenced a lot of restrictions on. So I was older than I'm. Older well, than no, you. that's true. So I was able to get into a car and go off and see these things without telling my parents. Well, you saw the Marx Brothers the first time around too, didn't you? They came to the house for dinner. <laughs> yeah, in your jalopy. Uh, but no, 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 that's true. I mean, you were a teenager in the '70s, yeah. and I was not. Yeah. And I can remember seeing ads and, you know, like the closest I got to that culture was I picked up Karate Kid because he was a member of the Legion of Superheroes. Uh-huh. And, you know, that and that and that's it. So I missed all that. I missed Iron Fist. I missed Luke Cage. Um, was it Richard Dragon, uh, Kung Fu Fighter? Yeah, Richard Dragon. Yeah. 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 Um, didn't really encounter that character until he showed up in the question. Sons of the Tiger. And Daughters of the Dragon, which are going to be great. We did a great, I mean. So I enjoy, I, it could have been two episodes shorter, but yeah. I liked, overall, I liked what Netflix did with the Defenders. Um, it took a while to catch up, to, to take off. So I, I'd shave off the first episode, or or at least cut that in half, and <coughs> uh, and then get into the fight. Because once they started actually fighting as the Defenders, that was awesome. And there were more than one moment where I'm like, we're, uh, we're noticing, hey, Daredevil's the only one in costume. And I said, shh, he doesn't know. Uh, you know, it was just like that there was something interesting about Daredevil being the only one who wants to be, who is in costume. And he was so reluctant to let anyone know who he was. Yes, and, you know. Yeah. It, it's, um, That's why I didn't mind the slow slow start to that one as much as like the other ones. I, I liked all the uneasiness and the slow build of the camaraderie between Luke and Which Danny. totally makes sense, especially yeah. because of the way that you've set up Jessica Jones. She doesn't like anybody. Right. So, you know. <laughs> and what are you? Classy. But I'll tell you, man, I really want to see Patsy Walker become Hellcat in this show. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how she'll do it, but I think she should. Uh, so I have hopes. I have hopes. So let's get back to the Orville. Sure. And then, what can you say? I, I just, it's there. It's a pilot. They well, established the characters. The complaint about the Orville is generally it's not laugh out loud funny. It's not every joke. Every which, if you listen to our joke. interviews, uh, you know the, the that that's ne- that was never the intention. He actually wa- claims to want to do aspirational sci-fi. I think I'm going to be a little more critical than you, but I'm going to let you get. A, I mean, because of something about Seth MacFarlane, yeah. as handsome as he is. There's something in the in the DNA of this pilot that I hope they get over. But anyway, go ahead. I I was just going to say that from the standpoint of what they what they did accomplish, I got more heartbeats out of looking at something that looks so much like Next Generation, 
that first season when I was laying on the floor, looking up at the TV set, watching Star Trek again for after so long. And it felt that way again, too, because we haven't had a Star Trek show for a long time. And the the it was just different enough, but just the same enough for me to really kind of like fall in love. Which you say we may not be getting one again for a long time because uh, I, I don't know if you've <laughs> seen this. Discovery, CBS is saying no one can actually review. They put an embargo. If anybody sees Discovery before they they launch it, no one's allowed to review. I'm so it. tired of Discovery already. I, I, I'm all yeah. I mean, which I I can almost see their point of view is like I'm already disappointed in Discovery and it hasn't started. Yeah, and so they feel you know. But there there it is. I think the Orville has the potential to do outdo what we're getting for Star Trek right now. Yeah. My my problem with it. I'll start with my negative, which is. You've got all this. Seth MacFarlane is getting to play his kind of low rent Captain Kirk, and that you know, because I think that's really what I know. He's more of a Shatner fan. It's interesting because I think he put Ed his character as more of like, what if Kirk was a little bit of a loser? And that's my my problem is you've got Seth MacFarlane, who is this ridiculously handsome guy who in real life has gone through a string of, I've got no better way to say it. Okay, attractive young actresses. And what does he cast himself as? The cuckold. Uh-huh. The guy who's been, you know, which is goes back to what you know about Seth MacFarlane is. And I think this string, this string says work because uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West did the same thing. Is they make him the loser. This is the fat kid that Seth MacFarlane was. Uh-huh. And it's almost like reading The Star Wars. Not Star Wars. The Star Wars. That script. Where it's fat little George Lucas going, I'll show them. Uh-huh. And he's reversing, and he's still kind of getting. It just felt a little mean about casting the ex-wife instead of uh, that way, as she cheated on him with. Under all that makeup, it turns out it was Rob Lowe, um, but uh, you know, in a weird little cameo. But you know, so that he can begin as the damaged one, the hurt one, which is the flip side of Chatner uh, of, of Captain Kirk, who is always. Love him or leave him. Well, you know what? Actually, not, not really that much, but that's the reputation. Well, that's the thing is he's got the reputation, which is Chris Pine's version and somewhat the movie's version. But um, I'm trying to think of Keith D. Candido, um, or, you know, Keith R. Candido, Candido, who is a Star Trek writer, right. writes reviews for Tor. And he had actually posted a piece, which I love. He says he counted up. There are actually only four episodes where Kirk has a romantic entanglement and he's never unfair to anybody. And, you know, it's not like he was a jerk. The only, the closest is he manipulated the girl in the conscience of the king because he's trying to, his obsession is driving him to discuss. It's also the gamesters of Triskelion. I think that was one of the four that he that he counted. It's like he's got yeah. this rep, but um, but then it's, it's the Wrath of Khan by retconning that he left Carol Marcus, right. that that becomes... He, uh, Carol was the one who left him. I, See, I just saw it last night. And yeah. Carol was the one who said, you know, you were going to do this. Did, were we going to be together? No. So I took David. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and But it's not been a scar, whereas it's a scar for right, Ed right. on and this. And so I'm hoping they get past that. And there's kind of the... And, you know, and it had kind of a of a of a wrap up that kind of said like, "Oh, she's still." Lo-, you know, it, it was right. just kind she's, of like she's looking out. For it was him. the fantasy, like uh, Seth, uh, like you're listening. Um, the fantasy of getting to do your Star Trek series. Let that be enough and develop 
Because there are some people didn't like the. I've seen people criticize the humor, but I'll tell you my favorite joke in the whole thing, and it's dumb. I admit it, but this is the moment that made me. Was when the helmsman asked Jay Jay Lee, the actor, I can't remember what the character's name is, you know, had first the setup of can I drink soda on that the was, bridge. That was brilliant. And then when he no, actually a previous captain used to drink, drink, drink soda, soda on the bridge. And well, I, I I guess. And then when it actually in the heat of a battle, a regular teacher lets us. It's yeah. like. And he actually has the soda. Yes, I don't know that got me. You know, yeah. and that's these. They're my favorite. My favorite was the whole scene in the hollow deck with the yeah. characters fighting, and then the, the ogre. character, the ogre, who's just so positive and happy and everything, <laughs> and then he beheads him. Yeah, it, it, yeah, very fun. So um, I, I it, there was a lot of exposition of oh, this is who you are, and this is who you are, yeah. and this is who you are, which is are. the far point, and that's the problem. pilot thing. Yeah. Well, exactly, I, you made that comparison to Encounter at Far Point, and which was a two-hour movie, and this at least was only an hour, right? And it got through it and was fine, and you know, it it, it suffers from pilot from the pilotitis, which is you've got to establish everybody. There was a little bit more telling than showing. Um, but even down to, I was trying to do the math, uh, the encounter at far point thing was the, you know, the time, the time accelerator, the scientist who runs afoul of it. I'm like, did right. she accelerate in time to the same age? And this is how much I thought the far point comparison was right to the same age as McCoy. McCoy yeah. was 137 uh-huh. in, uh, in encounter at far point. like a lady and she'll always bring you home. And but that's you know I thought were the was he echoing that much? There's even a reference to the Beagle, which apparently was out of Enterprise. Yes, yes. Which I didn't even I you know I don't think I watched that far in Enterprise. I I watched a couple episodes, and went eh, you know, yeah. and which is pretty much how I've been since Next Generation. Um, watched it all. I'm an original series. I know you. I did. know. I know you did, and you. And I think the tattoo. The dog's name back. was Porthos. Yes, Porthos, who was referenced in Star Trek. J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Uh-huh. That's why Scotty is is exiled because he uh, right teleported Porthos Four or something. You know, the descendant of that original dog, Admiral Archers. So I have hopes for the show, and I think once it calms down and actually gets in there, they're good actors, interesting ideas. The basically naive young girl as the strongest. <laughs> she was it's, good. Too. It's a good idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, and there's also I mean, it's, even though it was played for a punchline, the the race that is only one gender, single gender. The only thing I'd say is they is just a it's a, it's a dumb sci-fi mistake. Is they're no gender. They have no if they they have no females. They have no concept of gender. Really, they shouldn't. Only in comparison with other races, they've come in contact. Sure. With, so and then the racist robot, which then I was disappointed that he didn't actually do anything racist. Hopefully, we'll we'll get back to some of these characters. And I think what he really means is speciest as well. I should say that. I think that's that's what he meant. So yeah. you know that that's what I want. Apparently, to the next the first episode is going to deal with um, pregnancy among the single uh, gender. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I want to say as well, just to, to look for the next episode of Rick and Morty, because did you notice oh, what, did you see what it's parodying no. in the next time? No. This is this upcoming Sunday's episode? Okay. What? It's the Sandman. They're escaping from oh, Morpheus no, in that. the, in the oh, yeah. So I don't know. This season has been so good. I've watched each episode at least twice already. 
with, uh, and sometimes I have a new episode, but I go back and watch the one prior to that because I want to save the new one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing is, that, you know, uh, I just had a former student say, like, there's no one more, you know, I, I think the comparison is it, that Rick and Morty fans are almost becoming like CrossFit fans and vegetarians. <laughs> you know, it's like we're vegans and, we said, and we're like, Rick and Morty. Um, but honestly, it is smart sci-fi taken to the to the absolute most horrible extent of the concepts that they're playing with. It's amazing storytelling. You look at like you you plot out like the first ten minutes in any episode and, and say what happened in that ten minutes, and it's like that'd be two episodes of a regular hour long sci-fi show they would just Mm -hmm. they would just stretch that stuff because you wouldn't but i'm saying you wouldn't get to the conclusions they do as fast as they do if at all right because i mean i think there's an evil like they threw me for a loop last week with the just for a split second they got me when like they they had the detoxifiers multiple multiple or the no 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 no, two weeks ago the detoxified right and I was like, oh, my gosh, of course, when the when Rick figured out, we're the toxins. Right. And, and it was like, oh, my gosh, that was – what a great idea. Right, right. That, of course, from their perspective, you know, it, it was – and then what it meant to be free of the toxins. I don't think the concept was as full – I don't think it worked as well because it's the, the detoxified Rick didn't care about Morty, and I don't think that was really true. But um, – and, but that's okay. It was kind of a it was a bit of a takeoff on the split Kirk and the split. Yeah, but I, but, but I think the logical thing, too, thing so. is that I do get that Rick would think that is a weakness that he keeps fighting and resisting that he actually cares about these people. I think sort of the combined Rick realizes it's a weak, weakness, but yeah, but understands I'm saying he deals with but it. The, but the it. toxic Rick, you wouldn't separate that. That I, I think the toxin free Rick still cared about Morty and it wasn't as, uh, uh, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and so it wasn't perfectly this is a very deep conversation. I know <laughs> over this. So I'm looking forward to the Morpheus parody and this last week. Oh, geez, the simple Rick thing. I don't want to spoil any further. If oh. you haven't watched it is, which I should say, I was pleased because uh, I didn't realize till the, till the very end that the guy narrating the simple Rick stuff is uh, a friend, which makes sense because Dan Harmon was from Comedy Sports too. Jeff Davis, who's been on Whose Lines Anyway and does Harmon Town uh-huh. with, and I know Jeff from years ago, and we've done done improv together. So um, I'm waiting for somebody to make those crackers, those those, those wafers. Cookies. Yeah. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, and yet also what. A disturbing extrapolation of exactly that's how the Ricks would treat each other in the Rick in in yeah you know yeah, yeah. And, and so and you see the the common Ricks on the street and then the rich Rick going by with the champagne and the caviar and I just love that there was a Snape Rick oh <laughs> and Alan Rick man if you will hey uh, <laughs> so have you have you played there's a there is a iPhone Android phone game called Pocket Morty's okay I'm a horrible father. I have not, but Luke is playing, <laughs> and I had to break down and let him watch the show. Yeah, because he was playing Pocket Morty's, uh, and then the actual truth is you already told the story on, on the podcast I, that yeah. I discovered that he's already he had already you know, seen it at friends. He was watching it anyway, so it's like this way we at least get to talk. So yeah. you know that's that's good. But uh, but Pocket Morty's is a wonderful parody of of Pokemon. And, Which I think is what attracted my son to it, yeah. and that's and that's what got him into it. So, 
I should, but you know, I also downloaded the Futurama game, and I've I, I played it once, and I haven't uh, picked that. Have you seen the Futurama game? No, I have not. So they're continuing, and apparently, uh, the Nerdist just did a podcast where they. Do By the it. way, folks, this is a conversation we continue to have twenty minutes after we turn the recorder off. No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a Futurama Worlds of Tomorrow. Oh my! And it's basically the bare bones of a new episode, and so the podcast. So the Nerdist actually did a podcast. Reuniting the cast and did it like a radio drama. Oh, cool! And uh, so, um, yeah, it's actually not that cool a game, other than jokes that are Futurama based. And so, as yeah. a game, kind of sucks. But as as a Futurama, you know, unlike the PlayStation Two game, which is like, or is it a Wii game? I can't remember. I, I know I, I think it's PlayStation Two. Um, that Futurama, that an incredible episode of Futurama. Which one of the DVDs actually just edited all the cutscenes together so that you could play that out as the bonus episode. Thank heavens, because I could never win the game. If you'd ever played any of the Pokemon games, though, you would you would feel right at home in Pocket Pocket Mortys because it's it's everything those things had in their fighting style and their world exploration style and um, badges and uh, I, I I enjoy it. <laughs> so. <sighs> Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I'm irritated to have just gotten an email from the Disney Movie Club saying, your featured title, please respond by 9-11, which was oh. three days ago. Thank you Maybe for that. Maybe next year. Yeah, I have – no, 17, 9-11-17. We should probably wrap up. We should because that's all I got to say. Um, anyway, uh, there will be a, a slight gap because Rick is going uh, to the presentation summit. Uh, in Florida. In Florida. We weren't sure we were going. It's the until. place to go right now. Uh, anyway, um, you've had the on for a long time. So we're going to take take a week off from the podcast. Thanks for listening. And again, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, anything that we're not talking about that you're interested in, please write a letter to the editor at editor at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, and, of course, you can tweet us at fanboyplanet. Uh, and you can find us on Facebook as well. And, and you know, if there's any article or even on the podcast pages, we do have, what is the name of that uh, commentary system? I want to say Quora. That's not right. Um, oh, on the podcast? Uh, uh, it's f- a number. You can sign You can sign in with a different bunch of different. Yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, you can leave comments on the individual pages, and I, I, I try to uh, get involved in conversation there. Um, no trolls, please. Only ogres. Uh, so uh, th- that's it for this uh, for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of Fanboy Planet. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your powers, powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.